0: The boys answer some fan questions, and we decided that we might as well too. It's a special bonus episode, as they do a The The Adventure Zone Zone, and we serve you up a The 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 Adventure Zone 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 Zone. Alright everyone, welcome back to Talk It your weekly journey through the worlds of The Adventure Zone Graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, And with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hello. Lauren, it's a The The Adventure Zone Zone.
1: It is a The The Adventure Zone Zone. What does that make us?
0: uh, That makes us the 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 Adventure Zone Zone Zone.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: It's three these, adventure, three zones.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) The cubed adventure zone cubed.
1: Ooh. Okay. I'm into that. Let's do that. (laughs) <laughs> this is the Cube episode.
0: The Cubes. <laughs> <laughs> uh so I figured we would go through this episode a little differently mm-hmm. because obviously we can talk about stuff that happens in the podcast and I kind of want to talk about their answers and their questions and stuff. But I figured it'd be interesting if we also answered along with them. Oh, that
1: would be interesting. Yeah, I'm into I'm into talking more about us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and them because some of the questions are obviously very specific to the podcast.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I can't answer questions about like a fear bulk because I've not played a fear bulk before. But yeah, you know D and D, I'm down.
0: Um. So yeah, let's let's jump into it. Yeah. Travis says that they are going to masturbatorily talk about themselves, and I was <laughs> like, if they're masturbatorily talking about themselves, then we are like three times worse
1: <laughs> because that's what we're going to do too. Or because like...
0: we're going to do that, and we don't even have an audience. <laughs> <laughs> Justin does say that he hates doing these episodes, by the way. And I was, like, so sad about that because I love these episodes.
1: I do, too. Whenever they release one, I get so excited because you do take a break from the gameplay and you just get to learn about all their creative processes and, like, what they do to produce the Adventure Zone. And I love getting a peek behind the curtain. So I'm into it. It makes yeah it's sad. one of my favorite
0: things about most of the other D D podcasts i listen to have an after show mm. with like the players and the dm and stuff so like for nad on their patreon they have their what they call their short rest mm-hmm. where they talk about their the episode that just aired dimension 20 has something very similar which uh they do called their adventuring party where they again right after the episode there's like that them all talking about it and what happened
1: that's super cool
0: uh, and, you know, the, the Adventure Zone Zone is like our version of that, but it is like a much rarer treat.
1: It is. Yeah. These only really come up during Max Fun Drive. Right. Yeah, so it's once a year. Yeah. Like maybe once a year.
0: Uh, but let's jump into these questions. Let's do. So the first question uh, is As a content creator, how do you balance out telling a story that you want to tell while also listening to feedback from the audience and incorporating audience feedback into what you do going forward? So let's kind of talk through what they said a little first. Yeah, let's do. So Griffin says he doesn't think they need to be tied together when he ran balance and amnesty, you know, the feedback he got would really kind of inform him minimally, like he would let it swing the story one way or the other because he didn't have a concrete plan of what he wanted going forward Mm -hmm. because he was kind of letting it run wild. Mm -hmm. Travis mentions, you know, kind of take the feedback and see where people's interests lie. But to an extent don't take the exact feedback take the feedback as a point to see this is where i'm falling short Mm -hmm. but you don't have to take their advice on how to fix it
1: yeah exactly neil gaiman said much the same thing about feedback specifically for like writers where he says when they give you feedback they're pointing out where there's a a flaw in the story but you don't have to take what they offer as a suggestion and oftentimes you never should you
0: shouldn't yeah Yeah. because you know your story better than anyone
1: exactly but i'm interested to know what you think about this because you are our content creator you're always our dm because you're the best dm so i'm interested to know what you think about this one
0: you know it's interesting because you do i i'm i'm much more like griffin i kind of don't run into a campaign with like a complete set idea of what I want everything to look like ever. Mm -hmm. So I really am able to take like your guys' feedback or what, what is exciting you and what isn't exciting you and mold the story around that. Okay. I also want to make sure you guys are having fun, right? Like that's the point of it.
1: Right. Yeah. We're all here to play a game together. We all want to have fun.
0: Exactly. And so when it comes to kind of balancing out the story, I want to tell with getting feedback from you guys as my, listeners right Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty easy to do i agree completely with griffin's point but i also agree with travis's point but not that any of you have ever come up to me and been like i don't like the way the story's going or anything but whenever i do see something that you guys are finding less interesting or more boring or are getting frustrated with i know that that's a point that i need to adjust for Mm -hmm. but I, i you know sometimes you know the players will have suggestions on something that i could do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I always find it more interesting to find what I think would work best with a story. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, like uh, one of our players, Jacob, uh, was having a lot of interesting things going on with his character. And he had an idea of a vague idea of where he wanted that story to change to. Mm -hmm. And I kind of took it and reworked it in a way where I felt it better fit the story. And honestly, he loved it more than the original idea he came to me with.
1: Oh, that's so cool. So you both, like, were able to collaborate together.
0: Yeah, because it was um around the time that he was looking for kind of, like, new purpose after he had had his alignment switched.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that. Okay. And yeah.
0: he was trying to play into, like, this, like, dark and brooding character, but at the same time, I felt like that was him trying to stick to his old alignment and his old character. Oh, yeah. So I, I had to try to find a point where I was like, you are you know, you're right. You're not getting the engagement that you should be getting because you are changing so much. And I'm not really, you know, correcting for that. Right. Um, but at the same time, like your idea is to kind of correct for it by setting it back on its old track. So oh. I researched, you know, all these gods and found a pantheon that I felt fit his character really well because he's a paladin. Mm-hmm. And I was able to surprise him uh, with a god that really excited him and he like loved.
1: Yeah, that was a fun a fun moment.
0: Yeah, and it allowed for him to feel more invested in his character and have a more defined purpose because I as his god gave him a purpose. Right. Which was to eat gods.
1: <laughs> and that's literal. <laughs> we Yes. Yeah, he we fought some sort of some sort of water deity and yeah. ended up defeating it and this character went up and ate it because it was like in a crab or crawfish form, yeah. I can't remember, and we were all Pretty horrified, but now that's like a part of his character. And you know what?
0: I, I will say for the podcast, I, I, this is the thing I struggle with a lot. Sometimes, you know, T- shout out to our few listeners. Uh, but as we get more listeners, I would love to get feedback from them because there are often times where I want to change the direction of a bit or a segment or even the podcast as a whole, but I don't have someone to bounce that off of in terms of someone that's not directly involved with it. A.K.A. me, exactly. Yeah, right? yeah. Because we're we're almost two in the weeds on the podcast,
1: <laughs> and with David Pumpkins,
0: <laughs> and with David Pumpkins to kind of be able to self evaluate. Right, and I've yeah. made changes based on my own harsh criticism of it. Right, but you know, I, I that's something that I am excited for potentially is having those changes. Lauren, yes, not D and D, but you do create content.
1: I do create content.
0: Tell yeah. me, how do you feel about this question?
1: I I agreed much more with Travis to where you kind of can use your audience as kind of a gauge to see what's working and what isn't working. And kind of like to your point too, where you can drop something that people are getting bored with, or you can really invest more time into something people are more excited about that you just didn't think people would be as excited about. I I've, yeah. I've, was lucky enough to kind of have a little audience when I was mm-hmm. writing. So I, I did have a little bit more audience interaction to where I was able to shift things to where I liked it better because of what they told me they liked it didn't like. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. Oh, thanks.
0: All right, let's move on to question two question How much two. preparation does everyone do before they sit down to play? Maybe listen to a previous episode, review some notes, or just roll up and start playing. Again, kind of going through what they answered. Yeah. Griffin doesn't do a lot besides make sure his character sheet is in order, mm-hmm. which is very similar to me when I was a player.
1: That's very much me when I'm a player.
0: <laughs> Justin researches the Fearable culture because there is, and he listens to the previous episodes because there is so much time between recording. Right. And Clint does more prep for Argo than he's done for any character before, which I completely believe we've We've complimented his knowledge of his character so much throughout this podcast.
1: Yeah. He has really stepped up his game as far as not only playing Argo, but understanding where Argo comes from and what he has in his arsenal, not just weapon wise, but also like his features and traits. So I 100% believe that he, has put in a lot more effort into Argo than before.
0: There's actually a secondary question that I would like to touch on on here, but let's get through this real quick. Sure. Uh, As players and as a DM, I will answer for that, but as as players, how do you prepare? Is it just the roll up and do your thing?
1: It is very, I do very much just abide by the Griffin McElroy method, where I make sure that my character sheet's in order. I always go back and reread my features and traits because I am a very forgetful player and I always forget these super cool things that I can do. I make sure that I know where my hit points stand from last time. And I do go back and reread notes from the last session. I do take notes um, during our session. So I do reread those similar to how Justin listens to them again.
0: I like how you're like, I'm very much the Griffin in that I do so much more than Griffin does.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, he says he um, makes sure his character sheet's in order. And that's that's my character sheet. Yeah. And then I skim the notes. So kind of a mix between justin and griffin i guess but my prep work is very minimal especially i'm i'm sure to you as well you mentioned as a player you didn't do much so what do you do I for do prep?
0: almost nothing as a player like, okay because i mean i have a very good memory you do so i don't i i do take session notes while we're playing but it's not for any other reason than i will remember a thing from too long ago that i do need to re-reference it like It'll be a thing where like the DMs like, and then this player shows up and I'm like, all right, I know that that was like session three. Let's go back. All right. Session three, that player, what that person was. Oh, the bartender. Oh, that's a bartender. <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's all that my notes are there for. I never need to reread them. And honestly, I am really good at knowing my, my character's skills and traits. You are. And yeah. honestly, as a DM, I'm very good at knowing my player's skills and traits too.
1: Thank God for that.
0: <laughs> like the amount of times that I have to interject to be like, oh, you have this thing. Are you forgetting about that?
1: <laughs> Are you sure you want to do that?
0: <laughs> As a DM, I actually do very little prep too. All I oh. really do is if I'm running a module, I'll read the mo- the, the length of what I think we're going to get through. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I just skim it because so, so much of it is unimportant. I just really need to check if there is an important encounter. And if there is, how can I tie that into the story if it's not? Mm-hmm. That's really all I do in terms of prep for uh, DMing there. I mean, when we're in person, there's a little bit more because I like to make minis and stuff. Yeah, you So do. I'll print out minis. Mm-hmm. But even then, that's just me skimming through the book, writing down every enemy that they're going to encounter and printing out minis for it.
1: And then sometimes never ending up using the minis.
0: <laughs> Most of the time. That's just being a DM. Yeah. Um, and then for digital, it's just making sure there are maps that are set up. That's about it.
1: I mean, I haven't been playing D&D for a very long time, and I haven't had a ton of DMs. So I will preface this by saying my pool is very small. However, I'm always so impressed with what you bring to us. In person, you do have the minis, and they're always ready, and they look amazing. And now that we are virtual, the maps are gorgeous. And you always have them perfectly hidden so that we don't know what is behind doors until... We open them and just your, your DM skills are really good, both in person and virtually. So, good well, job. thank you. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean, in terms of storytelling, too, it's almost all improv.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Because I, I do just like to go with the flow of what you guys are doing. And I just want to, yes, and the story that you guys are building. It's more fun that way for me. And luckily for me, I grew up very similar to the McElroy's. Like, I grew up in a household with siblings that we're always trying to kind of out-funny each other, mm-hmm. which leads to kind of inherently developed improv skills.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I've never met anyone who is as quick on their feet as you are because we multiple times have completely railroaded and gone off the tracks and you adapt so quickly. And I'm, you're very good at improv. And that that's what makes you a good DM is you come into it, you know what's coming but you are so willing to follow us when we do go off the railroad tracks and you always are that yes and which makes you my favorite dm
0: oh look another question Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no thank you honestly but we kind of they kind of get into clint's answer about him doing more work for argo And they kind of touch on how Argo grew and developed based on how the other characters were playing their characters and how the story was going Mm -hmm. to the essence that he was originally kind of going to play a more roguish solo lone wolf type that could eventually be the leader. But he realized that that wasn't A, going to fit in with a group dynamic and B, that someone needed to be the leader and it was honestly going to be Fitzroy. Mm -hmm. But the question that they ask is, how do we build characters that are unique and independent but still play into a group dynamic? And it's two people who have created a lot of characters. I wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: Oh, goodness. For me, when I create characters, I always, I try to make them, even if they're going to be difficult, my very first character aside, because she was a train wreck. um,
0: Ugh, a literal nightmare. Oh my
1: God, she was the actual worst. I don't think anybody liked her, including me. So she was a nightmare. But anyway, I always try to make them have something that they care about within the group. So I've played clerics who 100% loved their group and wanted to heal them all the time. And then I played another cleric who initially was indifferent to the group and just wanted to heal all the time to just get better at it. Yeah, I just try to ground them in someone or something in the group so that they tend to go with them even if they don't want to i don't know if i'm making any sense
0: no it makes total sense okay you know i think you're what you're saying essentially is you take these characters and you make them unique in their own person but you always try to attach them to the group so they have a purpose within it
1: yes that's the very much better way of saying what i was trying to (laughs) say (laughs) what do you do
0: i purpose i you know i always build characters who will function in a group Mm mm-hmm I never ever go out of my way to build like a lone wolf character mm-hmm. because I, I mean, I get people do that, but at the end of the day, this is always going to be a team based game. Always. It always
1: is. It is so hard to play a lone wolf in a team based game. And you know
0: what? I think it's interesting because I have played characters that want to be a lone wolf, but you need to build them with the express knowledge that they are not going to be one. Yes. Right? Like I had a character named as Modrial. Oh my who God. We wanted stand to be a lone as wolf everyone ended up loving his character
1: including you like you were like i love yeah, him he's yes! one of my best boys he's oh i love him so i miss him
0: <laughs> same <laughs> but he was purpose built to be a solo character right like mm-hmm. his goal was to find a god to be a paladin to and he didn't fit in with people he i played him you know i'm very lightly on the spectrum and i kind of leaned into that with the character because it was me allowing myself to not have to kind of mask as much as i do mm mm-hmm. mhm and you know he was that person that doesn't understand social interaction and he didn't want to make friends because he had been hurt so many times and he was just kind of looking to be on his own and he found these people and at the end of the day because he had been hurt so much and because he wanted to be on his own he was so much more receptive to the openness and the people finally being true genuine friends to him like yeah that's i think the way you play it is people want to be lone wolves because they've been hurt most of the time Mm -hmm. and what you have to realize is the second they finally get that true affection they're gonna open up yeah because that's just human nature people want connection yeah and if you're gonna build a character that never wants connection that's unrealistic
1: yeah everybody wants to find their tribe right like the place that they belong and the people who accept them for who they are no man is an island i forget who said that but that's like that's what D&D is no man is an island and even if you try mm-hmm. to build somebody to be their own person who doesn't need anybody you're lying to yourself everybody needs something and someone and i, mean, e-
0: and I-, I will even clarify like obviously there are d and campaigns that aren't cooperative right where there's a lot of like espionage and a lot of backstabbing and betrayal but even in a setting like that you form alliances you know like yeah. there is no person that is a entity unto themselves
1: never never ever
0: All right, the next question for Travis. Are there any NPCs he wishes he could explore further in the show and why? And in a similar vein, are there any NPCs he's surprised by the fan reaction to? Travis hopes there's still a chance for Crush and Jimson, which I would love. I love those two.
1: Yeah, they came with huge backstories. So it makes sense that Travis is like, I kind of really want them to be a part of the story more.
0: Uh, He's got Everyone Likes Rainier and Festo, and I I love Rainier and Festo. Oh,
1: same. They're both wonderful.
0: He says Festo is his id character, which I can totally see.
1: <laughs> I can too. And whenever you play an id character, at least in my experience, they just become your favorite one to play. I had an id character. You have an id character, don't you?
0: I do have an id character. Uh, Beziel is It was my Beziel.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's your favorite.
0: And then Griffin quickly brings up here that he loves the like Mass Effect team building thing they're doing right now, where mm. they're like kind of just. Have this cast of NPCs and are like picking them and choosing them to be part of their squad, we talked which we about talked that. about last episode. Yeah. that we're super excited for. So
1: excited, yeah, I'm into that too.
0: Um, so I mean, let's answer for this real quick. Yeah. is there an NPC that you hope they bring onto the squad besides the ones they've already brought up?
1: Oh my god, personally, I would really like to. I hope that they bring the Pegasai back in. I love the whole herd. I know we've only really gotten the chance to no breeze through the willows that whole scene where they flew away with the Pegasai, i i really liked that whole group coming in and helping them and i i hope they come back how about you
0: for me i hope leon comes back obviously yes leon but i hope he doesn't come back i hope he comes back and is like pivotal to this struggle you know
1: do you hope he has like a neville longbottom story
0: 100 percent
1: yeah because
0: he is kind of that character too like i want him to be the one that like takes a sword of gryffindor and slices off gray's snake's head or something you know
1: oh that'd be so cool
0: and for i mean i'll ask you for any of my campaigns is there any npc you wish had kind of gotten more of a spotlight oh
1: my god i'm gonna need to think
0: i'll answer for campaigns i've played uh, characters that i wish i'd gotten to kind of throw out there more okay was when we were playing Crusade of Cataclysm. Um I had really fleshed out every member of the Dawnbreakers.
1: All of them. Or, I
0: mean of the Dawnbringers. Like I had fleshed out all of them. They all had their own backstories, their own <gasps> everything. And really only Beverlanis, it was just got Beverlanis to kind of shine. Yeah. But I had personalities for all of them.
1: Oh my god, you did? Mm-hmm. That makes me so sad that, I mean... You know,
0: but, you know, you guys you guys weren't engaging with that faction like I thought you would. Right. And so, like, well, I wasn't going to force it down your guys' throat, you know? And Beverly Landis was, like, your contact with them. So mm-hmm. he was what stuck. And I kind of just scrapped the rest because I was like, well, I'm not going to be like, but look, this one, this one had a troubled childhood and, you know, like, <laughs> all these things because, like, you didn't... You guys weren't really liking the faction until later on once they proved everything right but at that point the way that i did that was by having half of them be killed off
1: you did yeah a lot of them ended up being massacred i mean I for me that was one of the not at that point for my character um later on he becomes very attached to the dawn but that was a huge turning point for all of us yeah i mean if you ever want to I would be happy to <laughs> reprise Geronimo <laughs> and meet more of the Dawnbringers. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying.
0: For any Nadpod fans out there, all of the Dawnbringers, uh, not in personality, but their names were all based off of the Green Teens from Nadpod.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: So Beverly Lannis is based off of, uh, you know, Beverly Togold. Mm, yes, I uh, do. Know and him. like further on, just throughout all the Green Teens, each of them had a version of one of the Green Teens' names.
1: That is so sweet. I'm now. I'm super sad we never got to meet them.
0: But uh, ha, have you come up with one for one of my campaigns?
1: I know we didn't get to see him much. This the few times we did get to see him, it was like the coolest session ever. And I wanted. Ooh, can I to guess
0: say, based on what you just said? Yes. Is it Smiler the Defiler? It is
1: Smiler the Defiler. He I
0: freaking loved playing Smiler the Defiler. Oh, we
1: only came across him like what maybe three times in the entire campaign. You guys
0: only interacted with him three times, but he was there for all. He was there for every single one of your guys' Mad Max vehicle fights.
1: That's true. Yeah, he was there, but we only like spoke to him three times. But he eclipsed the scene when he was there, and all of us, every single one of us, were like, he is so cool. <laughs> he's...
0: Yeah, he's. He's obviously like one of the NPCs in the module, mm-hmm. but he he's interesting enough on his own. But I kind of decided that I just based on his look, I wanted to play him super differently that they had written him, mm-hmm. and so I played him like like a Matthew McConaughey beach bum character oh. that is that is also a, a creature of the fae that is lives in hell and is being hunted by these organizations, which was such an interesting duality to me,
1: and played so well.
0: Yeah, I freaking love Smiler the Defiler. And I, I think... I'm glad you I'm glad you were receptive to her.
1: Oh, I loved Smiler. And I think if you ask all of our other team members, all of them would say the same thing. They were like, no no, Smiler was the coolest one of all of us.
0: Ugh, love it. <laughs> the next thing isn't really a question, but it's a tangent that I really felt we should touch on because it's something we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Travis says that he felt like for the first 20 episodes, he was just building the world and introducing people, mm-hmm. then said, Okay, it's all in place, go. And if he could do it all again, he would have restructured it so that he could introduce other parts more organically. And he took almost too long building the house before he let them move in, mm. which is exactly what we've said as we've gone through. Yes. And you know, I know think... at times I felt like he was spending too much time building a world and not letting them play in it.
1: Yes. And I think this was around the time you had told me he had been on a panel, right? With
0: Well yeah, he touches on it later in okay. the he touches on it later in the thing where he says that he was uh, at a DM open table with some of the best DMs, you know, Matt Mercer, Brennan Lee Mulligan, other mm-hmm. types of people. Mm-hmm. And that listening to them talk about DMing and their approach really made him realize what he was doing wrong and what he was doing right and what he could do better. Mm-hmm. You know, now he's kind of letting go and it's terrifying to him. But, you know, he's because he's always been a very linear writer, which we've said, you know, it feels like he's writing a a novel. Yeah, exactly. You know, after a certain point, he felt it was almost constricting to be linear with a long term campaign, which I completely agree with. I do, too. You know, because if you plan out two years of content your players are going to throw you in a direction you never expected. Mm -hmm. You know, if you build a road for 20 miles straight forward and, you know, your players immediately take a right turn, you've screwed yourself.
1: Yeah, you built that road for no reason.
0: And I think that's what he started feeling. And he's now letting go more, Mm -hmm. which I can totally tell.
1: I can tell, too.
0: (laughs) It's so funny. Literally, last episode, we were talking about how much we've seen him grow as a DM
1: and come to find out he he did he had his own personal journey off stage as it were mm-hmm. and it's translating really really well and very in the episodes already
0: griffin kind of chimes in saying he kind of struggled with it in balance and honesty but i think griffin handled it a lot better
1: he adapted much more quickly yeah yeah Uh,
0: he says though like and i agree with it you it's a hard it's a hard balancing act to know when to reveal information to your players Mm. and when they're going to start knowing stuff because if you reveal stuff too early they might focus on your end goal before Mm -hmm. you know they've focused on your kill the kill the pigs in the field so you can level up quest you know
1: right right yeah one of the reasons i can't dm i i can't I can't do that. I don't have the foresight for that. You do this though. You do this very, very well.
0: But you know what? It's because again, I think it, I benefit from improving most of my storytelling mm-hmm. because with that, I'm able to be like, yeah, you're right. This is when you're going to know this. Yeah. Since I don't plan out the road ahead of me, I'm kind of lit. Oh, I'm like Wallace and Gromit, like building the track, like laying the tracks down as I go on I've the train.
1: That. Yeah. I've seen Gromit just on the front of the train and like laying That's tracks. That's me
0: DMing. That's exactly <laughs> me DMing. If you've ever wanted a visual representation of my brain, dming it's it's (laughs) gromit putting down the track the train tracks as they're on the speeding locomotive
1: that is so accurate that's so funny and now i'm gonna picture you as gromit which is very i think is very fair gromit's very smart
0: i love wallace and gromit i do too i do you want to know a weird fact about me of course i saw wallace and gromit curse of the were rabbit in theaters like nine times.
1: I saw it a couple of times too, not nine, but I saw it like two or three. I love that movie.
0: Uh, I I lived when I was in uh, middle and high school right behind our middle and high school. There was a movie theater oh, nice. that played current movies, like not delayed at all, and the tickets were only two fifty. <gasps> and so I went all the time after school, especially because like I was like a latchkey kid right because uh, my I, I was living in palmdale which is a, like you know out in the antelope valley and my parents worked in la mm. so they literally lived out here from monday through friday and then didn't come home until saturday and sunday wow and my grandma was out there and taking care of us but you know it's my grandma she's old i didn't want to bother her with stuff sure so i literally would just like go to the movies after school like whenever i could or hang out with friends or whatever i saw walls of grab and crystal wear of it like nine times because i was like that's well, good. Good for you. But yeah, they talk about that for a little bit, and it's it's good. But I I feel very similarly. I feel like I pre gave my answer about like how I handle it. <laughs> they ask a question which I don't think we need to touch on too much, but I, I think it's worth noting: is does the fearbug actively not want a name, or is it a matter of not finding the right one? And Justin mm. actually reveals that the fearbug has a name on his character sheet.
1: Yes, he does. But that's specifically for Justin, as something Justin can call him.
0: Yes. and But Justin kind of does say that he was willing to let them keep trying out names. Mm-hmm. But I really, really love that, that they both independently had their characters come to the realization that it was, A, maybe rude to keep trying to come up with a name, but also that, B, he didn't need a name.
1: Yeah. Griffin and Clint, and that, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah and even Travis brings it up too where he's like you know even when we were doing future uh, f- like the future visions like it was so easy to be like yeah Argo's going to be the Kraken and Fitz is going to be the lightning lord but Fearbulk's just the fearbulk he's
1: just the fearbulk
0: and he, honestly his his future kind of paints that too because while Argo is like the commander of this fleet and mm-hmm. you know Fitz is like the king of Nua Fearbulk just wants to go back to his clan you know
1: yeah, he just wants to be a part of the whole again. He doesn't want to be separate in his own person. Yeah, but yeah. I just
0: felt like we should touch on that because we've theorized on his name before and stuff.
1: Do you th- I mean, Justin did this before in Amnesty. Do you think there is going to be a time where we do know the name or do you think that they all now just respect th- Fearbowl culture? I think at this
0: point they all respect it and I don't think we're going to go anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. I do think in the like post-series, the, the Adventure Zone zone, they might finally reveal it. Yeah. The next question was, what is your favorite one-shot they've done? Griffin, which we actually said what our favorite one-shots were in the trailer for this podcast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Griffin's is Bigfoot stole my car with my friend's birthday present inside, (laughs) which is Travis's favorite as well. And I also revealed it is my favorite too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Clint's is Hootenanny, which of course, Hootenanny is amazing. And him getting to sing on stage with his boys is one of my favorite memories, and one of his as well. It is, yeah. Uh, and Justin says it was Lords of Crunch, uh, which is one of the the Max One exclusive episodes.
1: I have not gotten to listen to that one. And yet. it's
0: Justin DMing, and it's so good.
1: Oh, Justin dm I'm so proud of him.
0: And of course, they all love Dadlands because how could you not love a campaign DM'd by Brennan Lee Mulligan?
1: That's true, and it was like very pun heavy. And,
0: and it was the first time they four of them played together as players.
1: That's true. Instead of one of them DMing, they all got to play while Brennan yeah. DMed for them.
0: Uh, remind me, what's your favorite?
1: Um, Dust is my favorite one shot. Dust
0: is good.
1: Yeah. I'm such a sucker for the old West though. So that was like right up my alley.
0: Um, I'll ask you then for us, out of all of our groups, what is the favorite one shot that you've played in?
1: <laughs> it had, it has to be KGB. It has to be KGB. It has to be KGB. I'll never forget KGB. And it's not the Russian secret police, like I'm sure everyone instantly thought of, rightfully so. Um, Our characters' names were Khaki Denim, Geronimo.
0: Yeah, Bradley Tenderfoot. Bradley
1: Tenderfoot, thank you. So we were all just these chaotic characters just running around. We were hired for a job that I think everyone in the town instantly regretted we succeeded on it but it was just such wild crazy all of us were id and we it ended was three up three
0: being- <laughs> id characters pure chaos yes uh, uh, that uh, they unleashed on this small town i was the dm
1: you were the dm
0: it was one of the most fun times i ever had dming to the extent that like i think afterwards i i think w- what at least one of the players was like were we too chaotic were you not having fun because none of the townspeople were like happy at all with what was happening i was like no i had a great time but you guys just went into a small town and were yourselves so (laughs) i had to play that to the chest
1: no you played it you played it beautifully you guys
0: every time you guys entered a building one of you would kick the door down while the other played a guitar riff (laughs)
1: As, and then I would run in and fix the door. Cast mending. Yeah, because everyone was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I feel guilty now.
0: <laughs> like this town was not ready for the KGB. They
1: were not ready for KGB. But that was, ugh. I have such fond memories of that night. What was your favorite one shot?
0: The favorite I've played in was probably uh, Sharn City of Blood, which was the oh. uh, one shot that Dane did for us. That
1: was so much fun. I We all took turns, right? In our our little D and D group to give PJ a break because even though he is an amazing DM, <laughs> it's not the same as playing.
0: Yeah. And I, I went through DMs guild and I found a one shot that I thought each of them would love to run, mm-hmm. like just based on their personalities. And I kind of handed them out and was like, here, just take a week and run this. And they all did. And they all did an amazing job. I have amazing players who are also Really good DMs if they ever want to be. <laughs> but Sharn City of Blood was A, so good. And B, like, Dane is, uh, I think, when we first started playing with Dane, he was probably the more, the most, like, reserved.
1: I would agree with that, yes.
0: And, God, to see him, A, come to his own as our friend, obviously opening up to us as people, mm-hmm. but also just coming into his own as a and d player has been amazing. Yeah. But, man, that boy has some DM chops like nobody's business.
1: I was so impressed with him like even in the very beginning when he was bringing in all of our characters and introducing us i was like wow this is this is some strong dm yeah no yeah
0: he's awesome and i loved it that was so so good yeah so much in terms of when i've run gotta be the christmas one shot
1: oh my god our christmas one shot (laughs)
0: I'll never forget that Christmas one shot. You, uh, it, was, it was something that I found on Reddit, but I really try to personalize it as I do with most everything I run. Mm-hmm. Where essentially all of them played Rankin Bass Christmas special characters. Yes,
2: we did.
0: And they all did their own special twists on it. Oh
2: my God.
0: But one of the best moments of that campaign for me was playing Heat Miser and Snow Miser,
1: which you completely improved
0: completely improv yes and somehow i don't know how this happened like you know as a dm like sometimes i feel like i'm in a fugue state and when i go look back i'm like where did that decision even come from <laughs> i ended up giving one of the players who was playing cindy lou who one of those big mouth billy bass, mm-hmm. like talking singing fish, yes. that played the I'm Mr. Heat like song. <laughs> and it caused psychic damage to anyone to listen to it. it did. And that's how they dealt the finishing blow to the enemy. And oh it was so God. good. And even like there was one charge left on it. And that's how we like rolled credits on the one shot. It was just an amazing one shot. Such oh. a fun, fun time. You played the Grinch. I was the and Grinch. And you had Max as your familiar. I did.
1: I jived so well with Noel, who played my Cindy Lou Who. The two of us just went ham.
0: God. Yeah. Everyone had such a good time. That's my favorite one shot I've run.
1: That one was, it's one of my favorite memories for D&D ever. I loved that, that story.
0: The next question is how much of the guy, how much did you guys discuss the Thunderman's backstories behind the scenes and how much of creative writing was improv versus established behind the curtain They said they kind of talked through their backstory for sure obviously mm-hmm. you kind of have to to build the characters for for this world you do And obviously you need to have those backstory things for the DM to play off of and I do the same thing for you guys. I ask you guys to give me your backstory so that I know how to integrate you guys into the world mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I feel like I've said it on this podcast, but your job as a DM is to make your characters invested in the world and in the story you're telling. Yes. You can't just be like, well, you're playing DD, so you have to care.
1: That doesn't work. No, that no. doesn't work.
0: You have to be like, oh, well, look, they kidnapped your sister. And they're like, my sister. You know, like, obviously, that's a, that's a cheap and easy one.
1: But it is very effective.
0: But you have to make your players care about the story you're telling them. Mm-hmm. You have to make them care about the mission they're on. Like, you can't just be like, well it's going to end the world because that's that's motivation for sure but like why do you care that it's going to end the world you yeah. know uh, uh like when i did crusade of Claticlysm for mm-hmm, you guys mm-hmm. i had you guys give me your backstories and you know what at the end because a big part of the campaign was the four horsemen of the apocalypse each of the horsemen kind of took residence in one of your guys home countries and was ravaging your small town specifically type of thing you know
1: i i have referred back to that so many times um, to you and to others, because it was one of my favorite things you've ever done, where, I mean, you do this in all of our campaigns, but this was the first time I had experienced it, because it was my first long-term campaign with you as my DM. I have never cared so much about winning a fight than I did fighting off the four horsemen for all of our different, like, families and towns and stuff. Like, that, you you played into that so well to the point where Every single week we came into it, Lauren was nervous for what was going to happen because I wanted everyone's towns and families to be okay. So you did a wonderful job. Thank you.
0: And, you know, so they kind of go through like it's a lot of improv, obviously, uh, Obviously, Travis wrote through almost all of creative writing. Very little of it was improv. Mm -hmm. But he obviously did have to correct whenever they weren't going along with the original chaos plan, which he did a good job of. He did, yes. Especially with Fearbulg.
1: Oh, my God, yes.
0: (laughs) Justin also asks here, uh, he kind of waxes poetic about how the characters were all probably closest in balance. Mm. But it was because they were most like themselves, which I completely agree with.
1: I do, too. Yeah, I... There's so much of Clint and Merle and kind of Travis and Magnus, but Justin and Taco, very similar.
0: And they, you know, they talk about, yeah, just the different relationships they've had with their characters. It's a fun conversation. I would recommend listening to it if you haven't.
1: Oh, yeah, it was really good.
0: And yeah, they all kind of agree that their balanced characters were kind of the least like acting and more just playing. Mm -hmm. And that ever since they've tried to build characters that they kind of have to do more work for.
1: Mm hmm. Specifically because of Justin. Because Justin really ups the ante Yeah, when it comes they to really, acting. They
0: really uh, give a lot of props to Justin, which I think are very well deserved.
1: I would agree. Yes.
0: They kind of talk about how Griffin likes playing Fitzroy because he already had like a little bit of a villainous streak. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of talked about the fun of playing a, a, an evil asshole, which I love doing. <laughs> Uh, but it, it leads to a conversation where Griffin was like, hey, PJ, obviously not. But like, hey, PJ, but, like, here's okay. <laughs> like, here's like the biggest bone ever because he's like, he talks about how the hero and villain society is super theatric and it's all mm-hmm. become, you know, very disturbing. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for him to play Fitzroy as someone who pushes against it. And as we've said, Travis confirms that he built it to be pushed against.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he wanted them to be in this society where it is messed up. And Mm -hmm. heroism and villainy is something that you're paid to do instead of being something that you feel you have to do. And he wanted the boys to play with that and to push against it, like you said, like Travis was saying. So I'm glad that they are doing that and they're embracing it because it makes it so compelling.
0: They do ask a question, which I feel like we um, should. First, you're talking about because we're talking about all of them. But I think it's especially perfect because I feel like literally three episodes ago we talked about this Mm. and we both had our own theories and we both ended up being right, (laughs) which was would you ever consider playing or making a character who is aromantic or asexual? And yep. Griffith finally confirms that Fitzroy is asexual. He
1: is asexual. But so... he does
0: say that he is not aromantic.
1: He is not. So, you Which is literally because
0: right. it was, I think, three or four episodes ago, or even maybe less. But I finally was like, you know what? You're, you finally said that you think he might be asexual. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Now that you mention it, I think you're right. But I do not think he's aromantic. I guess we are both right.
1: We were both right, yeah, in our... We were both half right, I guess, because he is asexual.
0: Which I also... I love the way he plays it, because it, it feels right, you know? Fitzroy doesn't feel like a sexual being the more no. you get into him. Like, at start, you would read him as that, mm-hmm. because he's so grandiose and about himself. Mm-hmm. But it, it he quickly, like, plays it the right, like, in a way where it's like, oh, yeah, he isn't.
1: Yeah, and I picked up on that, and again, as someone who is asexual, I I. F- felt that connection to him so he's playing it very very well uh
0: justin talks about sexuality and characters you know how taco's gay Mm -hmm. um and we also you know talking about like how aubrey was bi Mm -hmm. which fits because travis is also bi right i wanted to talk to you about it because i i've i've played very many different sexualities with my characters Mm -hmm. what about you
1: i also have yeah my i've played i think at this point i've played two Asexual characters. I've had one gay character. One bi, I think.
0: Which one was the bi one? Valerius. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, she, she's had romantic flings with men, but she is also interested in women. Okay. Um, Geronimo was gay. Silas is asexual. Andrea was straight. So I have yes. played a heterosexual person before as well.
0: Um, for me, I have Beziel was pansexual because mm-hmm. I am pansexual as well. Yes. Yeah. And he was my first character. And as we've established, your first character is always the one most like you. Yes. Except for yours.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was asexual, but she was she was a bitch. She was just yeah. so mean all the time.
0: You guys, it's the most accurate. Please help me. <laughs>
1: no No. it's fine pj's fine you're fine right (laughs) um
0: as motriel is asexual Mm. but he's not a romantic he just doesn't have the social capacity to know that anyone would ever be interested in him
1: oh yeah 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 oh Algernon's bi that's who also is bi
0: and indra was a lesbian
1: yes yes she was
0: and i think that's all the characters i've no really fully fleshed out and played
1: do you have any idea about um Onikio?
0: Oh, Onikio's fully asexual.
1: Okay, that that reads for her.
0: Onikio is like so asexual. You know what's so funny cuz my two asexual characters are also two of my most like attractive characters. <laughs> And they're also two of the characters that other characters flirt with the most, mm-hmm. and they're both very like not understanding of it.
1: Yeah, there has been a couple of times where someone, especially Onikio, there was another character. Yeah, because Onikio on got like
0: you. some like strong thighs, yeah. and I had a and one of our other NPCs was like about it, yes. and she was like, "So, do you want to fight?" Like, I'm confused.
1: <laughs> it was pure, and it was you play i mean because i know because you're pansexual so you are playing something that's completely the opposite side of the spectrum for you and you have played your asexual characters very very well
0: well you know i I just i travis kind of mentions this it's easier when you have friends that are like that because you can pull from them as kind of reference Mm -hmm. Uh, and obviously i have you you have me yeah and i have a few other ace friends too i mean like elise is ace Mm -hmm. and a few other people in my life are ace so it's easy to be like well, you've seen them be flirted, flirted with and you see the way that they interact with socially sexual situations kind of based off of that, right? Right, right. Uh, but yeah, it's good to have that confirmation on Fitzroy. It is. And then we have our final question where we learn that, so I think this is an inaccurate assumption. Again, I think this is Travis trying to project too much, but he's, mm-hmm. again, letting go. Right. Uh, as is covered in this question, but we touched on it earlier. But he thinks that graduation is maybe two-thirds of the way through
1: which is so wild. And
0: I don't think that's accurate. No,
1: I don't think it is either. Uh,
0: I think he's thinking the plot that he wrote is two-thirds of the way through, but now that he's going to give the reins to his players, mm-hmm. I don't. it could go on for a lot longer, which he admits to.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because he is exactly what you said, where two-thirds of the way through his plot, but now that he's because handed over the Because when you think reins, about it,
0: yeah, all that's left is gather army, fight war. Right. But gather army fight war is biggest part of the fo- of story.
1: Exactly. And like, especially the big bad fight at the end, that depending on how big it is, it that could, could take sessions. several sessions. Yeah. Like,
0: this is a, this is a, you know, one of the Lords of one of the levels of hell. Like Jeez. you guys oh. fought one of those and you know, it's not a quick fight.
1: It's not. We, God, we fought for so long. That was one of our longest fights, I think.
0: And that's the last question they have.
1: That is the last question they have.
0: Uh, I had a, fun, a ton of fun doing this.
1: I did too. Uh, would you be interested in doing just like a side episode where we just talk about <laughs> our D&D stuff if people are interested in it? Hey,
0: man, if anyone is interested, go ahead, shoot us some questions on Twitter or on Facebook or anywhere. Heck, email us, talkandtaz at gmail.com. And we would love to do this again. Uh, but obviously, if you guys hated this, also let us know that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we'll stop, I guess.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I do want that feedback.
1: <laughs> feedback is important.
0: But I definitely had a good time doing this. So if you guys liked yeah. it too, let us know. And we'd love to do it again. Yeah. Even outside of the the Adventure Zone zone.
1: Yeah, we could do uh, a talking about, talk <laughs> talking about talking Taz. Talking
0: about talking Taz. It'll be called talking, talking Taz. There you go. Talking, talking Uh, But that's all we have for you guys this week. Mm. It's a meaty one, but it's hopefully a super fun one.
1: Yeah, I had a good time. You had a good time.
0: I had a great time. There you go. Until next time when we're actually talking Taz, uh, I've been PJ. I have been Lauren. And we'll see you for the next episode when, again, we're actually talking Taz. (laughs)